Mobility tests are increasingly used in prosthetic rehabilitation to evaluate patient outcomes. Knowledge of the resources available to clinicians who work in different settings can guide recommendations for which tests are most clinically feasible and promote coordination and mobility testing among members of the rehabilitation team. Hi, everyone. I would like to welcome you to Episode 7 of ONP Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Morgan, PhD, CPO. Dr. Morgan is a clinical scientist at Gillette Children's in St. Paul, Minnesota, and an affiliate assistant professor at both the University of Washington and the University of Minnesota. Her research interests include the assessment of clinically meaningful outcomes related to prosthetic, orthopedic, and rehabilitation interventions. She also maintains research collaborations focused on outcome measure development and assessment in prosthetics and orthotics. Dr. Morgan is an active volunteer within the prosthetics and orthotics profession. She's on the board of directors for the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. Additionally, she's the vice chair of the research committee for the Orthotic and Prosthetic Education and Research Foundation, and she's a member of the editorial board for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Today, we will be discussing a recent article that Sarah published in JPO entitled, Clinical Resources for Assessing Mobility of People with Lower Limb Amputation, Interviews with Rehabilitation Clinicians. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I'd like to uh, to get right into your article here. And why don't we start by, uh, if you would, please describe what you mean by the term clinical resources for the benefit of our listeners. Uh, sure. So our research team is interested in the development of standardized outcome measures that are appropriate for use in clinical settings. So we recognize that in order for clinicians to administer outcome measures in their clinics, there need to be appropriate resources available to these clinicians. So these resources may include equipment like a stopwatch or a set of stairs, um, but we also included other types of resources that might be needed, like adequate time for measurement and the appropriate physical space for outcome measure administration. So in this study, when we talk about resources available to clinicians, we're thinking about all of these types of resources, equipment, time, and space. So why does this particular topic interest you? So as you know, I'm, a, I'm at Gillette Children's in Minnesota, and I'm mainly focused on scoliosis research in my position here. But this study was conducted with my collaborators at the University of Washington, who are focused on outcome measure development and testing. So this topic interests me because when I started my professional life as a prosthetist orthotist, standardized outcome measurement wasn't common in clinical practice. And clinical practice was already busy between seeing patients and writing notes and prepping and modifying casts. I really couldn't imagine adding one more thing to every appointment. But when I went back to school for my doctoral degree, outcome measurement was becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and I worked as a graduate research assistant on the development of a patient-reported outcome measure, which is now known as the PLESIM, or the Prosthetic Limb User Survey of Mobility. But in my clinical practice, I hadn't had the experience of collecting patient-reported or performance-based outcome measures in any routine manner. And many of my colleagues were clinicians who were already doing their best to squeeze standardized outcomes measurement into an already busy appointment. So this study and this work really focuses on those logistical pieces that need to be in place to make all of this happen. 
you know, do our clinicians have the equipment, the time and the space to collect outcome measures? Do they have training? Do they have institutional support to do this work? Where are these resources limited? And can novel outcome measures be developed that could address these limited resources? So these are the types of questions that we're trying to ask with this study. So what was the purpose of this particular study, Sarah? So the purpose of this study was to describe the different resources that were available to rehabilitation clinicians, meaning prosthetists, physical therapists, and physiatrists, for the purposes of measuring mobility in people who have lower limb amputation. And then we also wanted to identify some performance tasks that clinicians use and find meaningful in their evaluation of prosthetic mobility. So what was your motivation for conducting this study? Our research team, which is led by Dr. Brian Hafner, uh, is designing and testing a new performance-based measure of mobility. So most of our work to date in outcome measure design was really focused on patient-reported outcome measures or health surveys that are relatively easy to administer in clinical environments. There's very little space that's needed to complete these surveys, and they can often be completed in a short amount of time with very minimal equipment. But when we thought about designing a new performance-based measure, we thought it was important to better understand constraints that currently exist in clinical environments. So what space is available to clinicians? Do they have multiple spaces that they could use? How much time could they allocate to measurement? What equipment do they already have that we could make use of? Um, so in our opinion, the most sophisticated and well-designed outcome measures would still be of minimal use if they're not feasible for clinical environments. So that led us to interview clinicians who might be using these kinds of tests, like prosthetists, physical therapists, and physiatrists, to identify the constraints that exist in daily clinical practice that can be incorporated into the design of our new performance-based outcome measure. So really, you were setting out to kind of find out or to, to survey practitioners to find out what's currently done in the field for people with lower limb amputation. Yes, and what kinds of environments and spaces may need to uh, dictate the types of things that can be done within those settings. Absolutely. So what were your expectations uh, for the study? What did you think you were going to find uh, in uh, completing this research? So this was an interview study, and as such, we didn't really have a a priori hypothesis or any corresponding statistical test that we plan to use with this data set. However, we did have some expectations for what clinicians might say based on prior literature. In brief, uh, we expected that clinicians might have limited time to allocate to outcomes measurement, and also thought that clinical environments might have limited space, particularly small clinics, um, including private prosthetic and orthotic clinics that might be in, have small footprints for the overall clinic. And that makes a lot of sense because we know practitioners are pressed for time, and uh, really, in reading through this article, I mean, I, I, I got the sense that there were issues or, or what's in the balance here is uh, the time required to conduct a study versus the value of the, the outcome uh, that's uh, uh, being uh, collected here. Yes, and that's exactly what people in the study told us, which is just great information when you're on the other side, trying to design measures that fit within those constraints. So would you please describe the experimental protocol for your study? Sure, so 
we use semi-structured telephone interviews to ask participants about their clinical environments and resources. And we chose interviews for this initial study because that allowed us the opportunity to ask follow-up questions for clarification and to ask participants to expand on their responses if they had additional valuable information that could help guide us as measure development experts. So if we had chosen a different methodology, say a survey for this initial study, we would not have had the opportunity to ask those really wonderful why questions that can be useful when you have these open-ended conversations and qualitative methods. Um, so in this case, we chose to start with these kinds of methods so that we could get that rich why in addition to some of the information that we want about time and space, et cetera. So typically, whenever we're talking about studies in P&O and we refer to research subjects or participants, we're talking about the users of the devices. However, in your case, you actually focused on the rehabilitation clinicians themselves. So what were the inclusion exclusion criteria for the rehab clinicians who participated in your study? Right. So we included prosthetists, physical therapists, and physiatrists in this study, given our perception of the role that these clinicians play in patient evaluation, treatment, and follow-up for people who use prosthetic limbs. And so these participants had to be certified or licensed in their state of practice, and they also needed to report experience, uh, clinical experience, treating people who had lower limb amputation. We wanted to make sure that they had opportunity to draw upon their experiences in the clinic to provide us information for these interviews. They also had to agree to have their interview recorded so that it could be transcribed for analysis. And then to enhance the breadth of experiences among the participants, because we knew we were going to have a small sample, we planned to enroll at least five participants from each discipline. And we also sought out participants from both large and small facilities thinking of a small facility as being 10 employees or less and a large facility as being 100 employees or more. And the reason for this was that we imagined that space and, and time and support might look different between these different environments. And then how did you go about collecting the data for this particular study? So once we identified participants, we sent each participant a brief survey and that was just meant to better understand who all of the participants were in our study. So we wanted to collect demographic information and practice characteristics, such as how long the participant had been in practice and what kind of facility that they worked in. And then we also asked questions in this survey about the types of standardized outcome measures that they currently used in their practice, if any. After they completed the survey, we conducted a telephone interview with each participant. And on the phone interview, we asked questions about their space configuration, and the size of their space. We asked them about supplies and equipment in their facility that could be used for outcomes measurement. And then we also asked them about the time that they had available for outcomes measurement, including what the maximum amount of time might be for outcomes measurement. And then we also asked about support that they might get from other staff and their training in standardized outcomes measurement. And then we asked participants to identify any performance mobility tasks like walking or climbing stairs or standing up from a chair that might help them better understand a patient in front of them and what their mobility level might be. And then we audio recorded and transcribed all of the interviews for analysis. Yeah, one of the things that really struck me in reading through your paper series, it's just rich with very interesting and useful information. 
in fact, whenever I read through an article, I like to highlight uh, the sections that really jump out at me. And in your case, I ended up highlighting most of the article because there was just so much good information here. Would you, uh, in, in terms of moving on to the results, uh, would you please describe the participants in your study? Yes, so we had 25 clinicians participate in this study, and that broke out to be eight prosthetists, nine physical therapists, and eight physiatrists. And these participants worked in a variety of settings, including hospitals and outpatient clinics. And on average, people in this study had been practicing in their profession for about 12 years. So relatively experienced providers. And what were the primary findings of your investigation? So there are a number of interesting findings from this research that we noted in this article. And as you mentioned, there's a pretty hefty results section, which I'll try to summarize here. Um, but I would refer the, the listener to the article to get the breadth of information that we got from our participants. Um, but with respect to space, participants described spaces that ranged from small clinic exam rooms to large gyms. And that really depended on their profession. More physical therapists, as you might imagine, had access to large gyms, whereas more prosthetists and physiatrists had access to small exam rooms. Most participants had long examination rooms or hallways for a patient to walk and turn around, but then they described these spaces as sometimes being um, common spaces that have other people or equipment that could potentially interfere with testing. And all participants had at least one set of indoor stairs with handrails to assess stair ascent and descent. And many had ramps, though most ramps were outdoors. So then that would only be accessible if weather permits in certain climates. And then patients also identified, or participants, excuse me, identified indoor and outdoor spaces where, where their patients could run. For equipment, all participants had basic equipment that you could use for standardized outcomes measurement, including two chairs, stopwatches, tape measures, things like that. Um, with respect to time, we thought this was pretty interesting. Average time spent on performance measurement ranged from about eight minutes to almost 20 minutes, with physiatrists allocating the least amount of time to measurement and physical therapists allocating the most amount of time to measurement. And our participants noted in follow-up questions that they would be willing to spend more time if they knew it would provide some kind of benefit, like help with justification of components or provide some motivation to patients. With respect to a clinician's understanding of a patient's mobility, our participants noted that they liked to use tasks like sitting to standing motions, transferring from chair to chair, assessing standing balance, looking at gait quality, how someone might walk on stairs and ramps, um, looking at walking speed and endurance in walking, and then also watching someone try to navigate obstacles that might be really common in their daily life. And then finally, our conversations with clinicians also led to a lot of qualitative information that we organized into four topics just to try to capture some of our participants' opinions on performance-based mobility tests. And the four topics that we identified were that standardized mobility tests need to be quick and easy to administer, and they need to add value to the appointment. And this is probably not surprising to the clinicians that are listening today, um, but one person really summed it up in a way that was meaningful to me. These measures need to be short, sweet, and to the point. And I really take that to heart when it comes to designing measures in the future. 
Another topic that was mentioned was that existing mobility tests are beneficial, but that people still find challenges in incorporating them into their routine practice. Participants also said that tests really need to include real world activities that patients perform in their daily lives. And one task that people had brought up that wasn't as useful was you know, tasks like standing for long periods of time on a person's prosthetic limb. That was something that people felt like was incredibly challenging for people and didn't tell them a lot about the ways that they were able to move around, say in walking or in other activities. They also mentioned the last topic was that there's the opportunity for some technological advancements that could make mobility assessment more efficient. So I could go on and on about some of the findings from this paper, but that's really a decent summary of what we learned and what our participants tried to tell us about outcomes measurement in prosthetics practice. And I would like to add, Sarah, that uh, I found table three to be particularly informative. This is where you describe the different tests and uh, kind of summarize the equipment that's required for each, the time to administer each, and the space. So anyone who is considering adding uh, different performance-based tests for, for evaluating their lower limb amputee patients, I think table three is a must to refer to. There's really good information there. Yeah, thank you. And we also tried to think about, you know, that the additional requirements that might not be necessarily in the test description itself. So for example, um, you know, the two minute walk test they require, or they mentioned that it would be important to have a long space, a 30 meter hallway to walk back and forth. But that doesn't include the amount of space that's needed to turn around on each side. So we tried to include a buffer for that. You know, it's not just 30 meters that's required. That's just the walking distance. So then you really do need additional space so that you're not having a patient bump up against the wall. We also tried to take into account the time that it takes for someone to listen to the instructions and get set up for the test when we um, mentioned the amount of time that it would take to do these different tests. Yeah, so excellent summary there. Nice job. So what did the findings of this study mean to you and your team with respect to outcomes measurement in clinical settings? So the big takeaway for us was that most participants in the study did have resources that would be useful in administering standardized outcome measures in clinical practice. And that includes these performance-based measures that do require extra time and space in some instances. Um, But it's really just a matter of matching these standardized outcome measures that are most feasible for each provider's um, clinical setting. And then when there's a mismatch, say in terms of the time required or the space required, then you can imagine that routine collection might become more burdensome to the clinician and feel less, less, um, I would say just less efficient to them. And then for our research team, the study provided insight into the constraints that we need to take into account when designing a clinically useful performance-based test. Uh, So for example, if we could design a measure that could be conducted and scored in less than 10 minutes, could be performed in a standard size clinic room or hallway, includes tasks that are appropriate for the patient in front of the person, in front of the clinician, and could be easily interpreted in the context of other people with amputation, we feel like we'd be in a better position to optimize the feasibility of the measurement process and the value that that measure could provide. And then we also learned about types of tasks we might want to include in a new performance-based test and the need potentially for flexibility in the new test. 
to potentially adapt tasks to different practice environments um, to be most useful to all of the different uh, clinical environments that we see across our professions. So were there any unanticipated surprises in your findings? Yeah, I would say that one of the surprises was the extent to which limitations in space and time might limit the use of these currently available performance tests that are commonly recommended for mobility assessment of people who use lower limb prostheses. Uh, so for example, I had mentioned before the um, two minute walk test or the six minute walk test. Many participants in this study did not have 30 meters to conduct the test as described in the literature. Now they could adapt it to their clinical space, but that really limits the interpretation of patient scores as compared to published normative data. And for the amputee mobility predictor, some participants would not be able or willing to allocate the time needed to administer this test. And I think these findings really speak to the opportunity to put feasibility of routine measurement alongside all of the other considerations that we take into account when designing new measures for use in our clinics. So what do you see as potential study limitations and what would you have done differently? I would say the main study limitation is that we had a small sample of clinicians for this interview study. Um, so this sample really allowed us to ask open-ended questions and follow-up questions to better understand people's experiences with outcomes measurement. But our findings are not necessarily generalizable across prosthetists, physical therapists, and physiatrists based on this small sample. In addition, we're outcome measure developers who are asking clinicians in the field about outcomes measurement. And so people may have had an inclination to uh, be more, uh, I would say, complimentary about outcomes measurement in practice and maybe even say that they had more time or did this more often than maybe they, they do in their routine practice. So with these two limitations in mind, we decided to conduct large survey studies that would allow us to have a better understanding of the resources available to these rehabilitation professionals um, without that potential for response bias from someone wanting to tell us some things that maybe we wanted to hear. Um, so we recently did complete a survey study with 375 prosthetists, and that was published in the Archives of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation this year. And then we have an ongoing survey study with physical therapists that is currently underway. We're in the data collection phase. And we hope to put out a, a similar publication of a large survey sample in the coming year. Wonderful. So additional uh, articles for our listeners to consider reading as well. So let's talk a little bit about some of the main clinical takeaways, Sarah. Um, how can your results be applied to clinical practice? I'd say the main clinical takeaway here is that clinical resources such as time and space and equipment are a major consideration in the selection of appropriate performance-based tests for clinical use. And so to optimize the potential for routine outcome measure collection, clinicians should keep in, time, in mind the tests that might um, maximize their efficient use of space and time. So we may have a few uh, listeners who are interested in conducting a study uh, like this themselves. So would you have any recommendations for future research directions based upon uh, your work? Well, you know, as I mentioned before, our, our goals are to create outcome measures um, based on this work. And so we're really continuing to think about the development of novel performance-based tests that take into account the findings here. 
Um, so information about you know, what clinicians think about outcomes measurement and what the constraints are within their practice, I think are gonna be the most important takeaway for researchers who are interested in outcomes measurement. Um, you know, which uh, can we create tests that are efficient, have tasks that fit into different clinical spaces that are more typical in practice, and can we create measures that are more flexible to suit the needs of different clinics? Um, and also, can we include tasks that measure patients at a variety of mobility levels, but in a way that is incredibly efficient? So really getting to the tasks that are best suited to the patient in front of the clinician versus uh, you know, a series of tasks that may or may not be well-suited for that particular patient. And I think that makes a lot of sense, particularly for individuals who may be looking to create new performance-based uh, measures. So uh, uh, that, again, very useful information there. As we start wrapping things up here, Sarah, I wanted to, uh, to ask, would you like to acknowledge any funding that you received to conduct this study? Yes, so this study was funded by the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development of the National Institutes of Health. And this was funded as a part one to our multi-stage measure development work that is funded by under this grant. Um, and I'd also like to take this opportunity to acknowledge my colleagues on this line of research. So especially Dr. Brian Hafner, who is the principal investigator for this study, and then my co-investigators, Jeff Bachman, Ignacio Gennard, Anat Crystal, and Dagmar Antman from the University of Washington and the University of Miami. Wonderful. Thank you for uh, sharing that, for acknowledging your, uh, your colleagues for their contributions. Um, so we've come to the end of our podcast. So I'd like to thank Dr. Morgan for sharing her insights and discussing her research with us today. And I'd like to remind all of our listeners that if you would like additional information on our project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. So thanks again for joining us for this episode of OMP Research Insight. It's presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's ONP Research Insights podcast, when we will be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article.